Hi, this is Michael Francis. I'm sitting here with Steve Webb of the LifeSpring Podcast. Hope you enjoy the show. This is LifeSpring, podcast number 37 for July 11th. Steve is one of the lunatic fringe. Lunatic fringe, 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 fringe. And that's great. Fabulous. Hello. Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome to LifeSpring. I'm Steve Webb, and I'm your host. What a busy podcasting week last week was, and it's going to be an even busier one this week. Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's what Life Spring is all about. Remember, it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your age, your sex, your station in life. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Life Spring is about answering that question and the question of how and why the answer can and does affect your life today. What will you find here? Well, of course, you'll find music, you'll find conversation, and reasons to believe. Hey, want to get in touch with me? Here's how. It's easy. I'm making it as easy as possible. There's just one email address you need to know, and here it is. You ready? Steve.lifespring at gmail.com. That's it. You can send text emails, audio comments in the form of MP3 files, or whatever to steve.lifespring at gmail.com. There's a lot of other hosts out there that have multiple addresses. Addresses? <laughs> multiple email addresses. I want to make it as easy for you to remember. So, what is it? All together now, steve.lifespring at gmail.com. Now, if you want to be heard and you want to do that easily, just pick up your telephone and call 206-600-LIFE. 206-600-LIFE. It's probably not a free call for you, but I would love to hear from you anyway, and I may even put you on the podcast. So, there you go. What a busy, busy week. If you are subscribed to the LifeSpring Podcast, you have already gotten two special edition shows for, uh, for the Harvest Crusade. I hope you've enjoyed them. It's been a lot of fun to do them. I did the first one, and Craig Patchett did the second one. If you're not subscribed, you'll definitely want to download them. In the first one, I interviewed Greg Laurie from Harvest, and in the second one, Craig Patchett put together a dynamic show highlighting the artists that'll be at the Crusade this weekend. Now remember, the Crusade, you can find out all about it at harvest.org, but it's uh, this coming weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, July 15th through 17th. It's at Angel Stadium in, in Anaheim, California. It's going to be just a tremendous, tremendous event. Tomorrow, I'll be doing another special edition of the show. I'll be talking about all the preparation that goes into making Harvest Crusade and some of the volunteers and their labors of love that they put into it to make it happen. It's really just a desire to help reach people with the message of God's love and His compassion. Then on Thursday the 14th, Craig will have another very special pre-crusade show in which he'll talk about how the crusade has touched the lives of a lot of people, including his own. Yep, you'll hear some of Craig's own personal story. Until now, he's not really talked about how God came into his life. Well, be listening this Thursday and you'll get to hear how the founder of the Godcast Network met Jesus Christ. Okay, now, this is what you've been waiting for. Last week, I introduced you to Michael Francis. 
To recap, let me remind you that I interviewed Michael at a little bistro in a Southern California beach community. We were outside sharing a small table. You can hear all the sounds around us, including the cars and the trucks driving by on the street that's right next to us. You can hear nearby conversations, landscaping crews. It's an overcast morning that slowly cleared up as time passed. The air is cool, about 65 to 70 degrees by the time we pick up our story. Now, last week you learned that Michael Francis was the son of a high-powered, well-connected mafia boss. You learned how he was brought into the life, that he earned billions of dollars for the family, and you learned that that all changed, and that the change began as a result of his meeting a dancer on the set of a movie that he was producing. This dancer, named Camille, spoke to Michael in a way that he had never been spoken to before. She spoke to him of Jesus. At the end of last week's show, Michael had just told Camille that he was probably about to be indicted on some very serious charges and that he would probably be sent to prison for about five years. Let's pick up that interview now to hear Camille's reaction. I told Camille, I said, listen, um, I'm going to have to do some time, maybe five years. And her response to that, because we had planned to get married, is I'd rather have you alive in prison than, you know, in that life on the streets or maybe dead. Right. Now, you know, she didn't know much about the life. She's from Anaheim, California, Mexican girl. Uh-huh. She never never came in contact with anybody like me. I mean, her her uh, exposure to that life was seeing the movie The Godfather. Sure. That was it. Sure. So she's thinking of you and Michael Corleone. I, maybe, I guess, you know, was, and, uh, but, you know, she, she had a lot of confidence in the fact that I would work it out. She trusted that. So, right. um, I took the plea, negotiated that I would be able to do the time out in Terminal Island, California, out in LA. And my plan was this, I do, I get a 10 year sentence. At that time I was under the old law. So there was parole. They hadn't abolished parole yet. Okay. I figured if I stayed clean, I could do five on the 10. That was right. about what you did. I'd have five years on parole, and then they tacked on another five years probation after that. So for 15 years, I figured I'd, when you're on parole, you're not allowed to associate with anybody, so you got to stay low. Right. I move out to California. I said, I got about 15-year cushion. Maybe these guys will forget about me in New York by that. Right. That was kind of my plan. I'll live happily ever after out in, you know, promised land out here. Right, Golden. sunny Southern California. Yeah. And I realized later that wasn't God's plan. I mean, he wasn't going to allow me to backdoor this whole thing. Yeah. But uh, that was my plan at the time. And so we moved out to California, and um, Camille and I got married. And um, I went off to do my time. I mean, that's how it started. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, and again, I'm jumping because there's a lot of stuff in between. Oh, sure. But, uh, you know, and all the while she's talking to me about Jesus and and like I said, it was really more my feeling for her that, you know, I was respectful of her. I would listen to her. Uh, she was so committed. Um, and it started to make some sense to me. But, Steve, I wasn't, you know, I'm worried about how I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to do my time, what I'm going to do afterwards, what's going to happen with the money. And I'm worried about every other thing, you know, right. and, and how I'm going to work it out. So it was really me being more courteous to her. But she was very persistent. She remained in prayer quite a bit. Her mom was a strong, strong Christian and uh, a wonderful woman. She's passed away now, but uh, they just had a belief that God was going to use me in a way. And I, they, I looked at them like they were okay, you know. Right. How do I get rid of you know this issue I got going on now? But uh, 
um, that's what happened. You know? So we married and I went off to prison around that time. And you were in prison for a total of? A little over seven years total. Seven years. Okay. I did five and then came out for 13 months and then got violated and went back. Okay. Now, um, again, having uh, read a little bit of your story, I know that uh, the government came to you at one point. You heard your name called when you are in the yard, you know, see the warden, and uh, the FBI guys were there to talk to you about doing a film. Is that what it was? Right. Well... Now, was this during the, the first five, or was this after you'd gone? Second. Okay. This was after... Um, I had been violated, and I was on my way out of the second sentence. Okay. But in between, what had happened, Steve, again, to make a long story short, when I got violated, when I got out on parole in that 13 months, it was horrible because my plan to keep this quiet backfired. Life magazine wrote a huge story about me quitting the mafia. Mm, okay. Dangerous story for me. I was in prison when they wrote it. And, uh, word was out on the street that uh, I was going to do all these terrible things. I was going to be a witness. The government figured if I went that far that they could make me a witness oh. against some major figures back there. And I got out on parole, and I was like a fish out of water in L.A. I had the government all over me. I had right. the guys back east all over me. My father couldn't talk to me. You're probably it, looking over your shoulder all the time. All the time. It was terrible. And uh, the feds told me, you know, that words on the street, they're going to come and get me. And my wife is a wreck. And it, it was... It was the worst 13 months of my life. It was worse than being in prison. Yeah. That's how bad it was, trying to... I couldn't do anything. You know, they were all over me. They're telling me this is going on, that's going on. I know the life real good, so I didn't have to be told too much. Right. You know, I knew what was going on. And um, long story short, again, the feds were really upset with me because I wouldn't testify. They tried to get me to testify against a couple of bosses in Jersey and uh, didn't work out. Within a couple of months after that, I was back in prison on a violation. Okay. Well, you knew that if you testified, then your life was done yeah, anyway. I was, I was done. I mean, yeah. it would, I'd have to get into a program or something. Right. I didn't want to live like that. Right. And, um, you know, and I was buying into Christianity a little more at that time, I guess, because as you get weaker, you look to turn to somebody. Right. And I was paying a little more close attention to what Camille was telling me now. But you hadn't yet made a decision, is that correct? I did make a decision. I accepted Christ. Okay. But, and I know that at, at the point of acceptance, salvation is instantaneous. Yes. However, uh, my, my Christian growth had not even begun. It was, again, more self-serving than anything else. Because I believe, you know, it's very difficult to love even God if you don't know him. You can't right. love somebody you don't know him. Yeah. It's, it's very hard. So, um, I got thrown back in prison. And... Uh, they told me they were going to give me 20 years and all this kind of stuff. And I knew it was going to be a real difficult time in prison because of the word on the street. They're not going to let me out in the yard, so I'm going to be in lockdown. They're going to hide me all over the place. So the first night I spent there was an absolute torture. Steve. I figured my wife's going to end up leaving me. It destroyed my marriage. Um, and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. It was horrible. I'll never forget the night. And uh, it was that night that a prison guard put a Bible through the slot in the door. And uh, I picked it up and I started reading it. And the first, hang on here just a second. Yeah. Uh, I thought they were all done. They mowed while I was sitting waiting for you. And I thought that all the uh, noise would be gone. Did they, did they mow here already? Yeah. Yeah, they did. 
<clears throat> I opened the Bible, and the first verse I came to is Proverbs 16, 7, which says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. And I believe uh, it's the first time God spoke to my heart that I listened, mm. because I, I really needed to hear some kind of encouragement that night, and I couldn't find it anywhere. I didn't. I, no matter where I would look myself, it wasn't there. So that one really jumped out at you. It the Lord at showed him. that one to you. He, he, it, first night that I listened when he spoke to my heart. He might have done it many times, but I didn't listen. Right. And uh, it just set me on a, on a path to really want to know my Bible and really want to know, based upon the evidence, if this was really the way to salvation through Christ because Cammy had planted a good seed in me. I had had blind faith all my life with respect to my dad and what he led me into. Right. And I wasn't ready to do it again. Um, I, I guess I had become my own man in that regard, and I, I needed the proof. Right. And that's how I read the Bible. Okay. And I had no, uh, you know, I read now that when you read the Bible, you read it in an open mind and an open heart, and I could talk about that now. But back then, that I had no uh, uh, preparation for that. This was just my approach. Right. And um, I was blessed in that uh, I received a four-year prison sentence mm. on the violation. All these charges that they tried to put on me, they couldn't stick. And the judge gave me four out of a possible five on my violation. Okay. And I ended up doing uh, 35 months, 29 months in the hole. Okay. And during that 29 months is when God firmly planted himself in my heart. Uh -huh. And I was just convinced that, you know, I was giving my heart to, to Christ. Uh-huh. And a lot of Bible reading, a lot of, I had a Sony Walkman, a lot of Christian shows, Greg Laurie I used to listen to all the time. And, and um... A lot of Christian books my wife would send me in. So it was really the time that God used to prepare me for whatever he had in mind. Right. And then I got out, and um, when I got out of prison, once again, I had, or thinking of coming out, I had no idea what was going to happen. Uh, the last six months before I got out, Steve, was an absolute torture because there was a... Uh, one of the guys that were made around the same time that I was made was uh, had turned informant and was saying a lot of dangerous things about a lot of guys, including me. And um, I said, man, you know, I'm going to end up coming out of here and being indicted again the day I walked out. Right. And I didn't sleep. I don't think I slept a day because I got a call from a daily news reporter who said that this fellow is saying all of these things. And I said, hey, you know, what could I tell you? Uh, but I didn't sleep. I didn't have a sleep, good restful night for six months before I was coming out. Steve, the day I was ready to come out, I almost didn't want to go out the door. Uh, I'm telling you. Yeah. I'll never forget. My wife and kids were there, and uh, I almost brushed by them. I looked around. I said, come on, let's go. Wow. I said, let's get in the car. Let's get out of here. I just wanted to get out. Right. So bad. So right. they said, what happened? I never told her. I said, let's just go away from this place. Wow. And uh, I was so, I think... That was even another thing that I was so thankful to God that I was going out free because I didn't believe I was going to be free. But anyway, backing up, about six months, they finally let me out of the hole after 29 months. I was in Lompoc uh, prison. And uh, when I'm walking the yard, I get a call over the loudspeaker, report to the warden's office. And I get there, and there's two FBI agents there. And I said, oh, man, that was, again, thinking I'm going to get arrested. Yeah, you're thinking the worst. Thinking the worst. And, uh, but they told me about this uh, video that the NBA, Major League Baseball, are doing. It's an anti-gambling video, and they wanted me to participate because I had a big gambling operation on the street, and I 
you know, used to uh, uh, work with athletes, work with athletes, get them involved in gambling and, and compromise the outcome of the game or whatever. There was... Uh, that know, really happened. I mean, oh, yeah. They would throw games or... They would, you know, let me tell you, when people get desperate in gambling, athletes or whatever, they do whatever they need to do to make up the money. Okay. And an athlete, when they don't have the money, but they can affect the outcome of a game, that's what they're going to do. Yeah. You know, they got to pay. Now, were these all pro athletes or some college? Some pros and some college. Okay. Yeah. I mean, college, even more susceptible. But the pros were susceptible back then. They didn't make the money they make today. Right. So, I mean, these guys got in trouble for twenty-five, fifty thousand. They were in trouble. Today, really? it's, today it's nothing. Yeah, that's pocket change for them nowadays. Change. But, you know, back then, $150,000 salary was big. 200000 right. you know. So, um, these guys would get in trouble. And, uh, hey, you don't have the money. Here's what you do, you know. Basketball players are supposed to win by 10. Make sure you don't win by 10. Win by 6. Don't cover the spread. Right. Know, we'll place a little money on there. We'll get our money back. You'll be even. You'll walk away. Right. The problem is once they do that, you're not going to let them do it only once. Yeah. If I know I have an athlete playing with me and I can make money that night on the game, I'm not going to let him do it once. He's right. going to do it until I tell him to stop. And that's the, the theory behind it. But, right. Um, well, not the theory. That's the fact behind it. But uh, So they asked me to participate in this anti-gambling video. And uh, I didn't want to do it at first, but uh, I decided to do it. And uh, they filmed my portion of it in there. I came home six months later, and the leagues approached me directly and said the video's a winner. Uh, and it was. They, they spent about a quarter of a million dollars on it. NBA Productions produced it. And it was great. I mean, I, I was a part of it, but... Uh, Greg Gumbel was the narrator, and they did all about Pete Rose, and they interviewed a lot of professional players that had been touched by gambling. It was a very good video piece. Right. And they asked me to take it a step further and speak to the athletes directly because it's a serious issue. Again, I was reluctant. I never spoke to anybody publicly other than my guys sitting in the room right. telling them this is what we're going to do. But I said, eh, well, you know, let me give it a try. And uh, that year, in 1996, I went with Major League Baseball and visited all 30 Major League Baseball teams during spring training. Wow. And gave a gambling talk. And it was hugely successful. I mean, it was so effective. These guys were more turned on by my background and the fact that I told them, basically, the message was, you guys can, you know, excel here on the field. But you get in trouble with gambling. You get into a business of gambling, you step over that line. I said, I'll make you look like a little sissy. I said, uh -huh. You're not going to mess with any of my guys like that. And that's why so many of you have had problems. And I used to tell them, you know, you guys sitting here in the room, you know who you are. You know that you, you love to gamble. There's 100 of you in here, 50 of you are gambling right now. Wow. And, you know, the message with no prep, no, I'm just talking. This is my life. I'm just telling them this is the reality of it. And because it rang so true, because that's the way it was, right. we were very effective. Yeah. And we did Major League Baseball, we did the NBA, and the word started to spread that this is this has been a very effective approach. NCAA contacted me in 1998, said we need you to jump aboard with the colleges throughout the country. And so I've been doing this since 1996, and every year it gets more and more and more. And now from I've done all Division One athletic uh, uh, departments. You know, all the athletes in Division One schools continue to do that. I do the uh, major leagues every year, do their rookies, mm -hmm. some of their minor leagues. And um, now we're doing high schools because mm -hmm. of this internet and, and uh, poker on television. High schools, kids are getting affected in huge numbers. 
So this is um, this is how I got into speaking, so to speak, and um, it, it wasn't first giving my testimony. From there, at my uh, the church that I used to attend in uh, in Westwood, uh, the pastor there was a tremendous guy, Dr. Myron Taylor, asked me one day to address the congregation when I came out. He said, I want you to give four talks. One, I want you to give your testimony how you came to Christ. Right. I want you to talk about the prison system because people here are not aware of what goes on in the prison. Right. I want you to talk about the criminal justice system because people here, and this was a very educated congregation, Okay. extremely educated, professors, doctors, lawyers. Um, and so this was the first time I gave my testimony and spoke about things in church. And um, it just started from there, from having no idea what I was going to do when I got out, no plan. It developed into a ministry. And I can honestly say, Steve, I cannot, I cannot credit myself with anything. I had no idea. I just kind of followed the steps. Right. People came to me, I said, all right. And I was still trying to figure out what I was, all the while, this is happening. I'm trying to say, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> right. You know, for years. Yeah. And it wasn't until really three years ago when I'm doing this all by uh, word of mouth. Never solicited, never did anything. But all of a sudden, I'm doing three, four, five dates a month by word of mouth. Wow. And I meet up with Rob Michaels. And he said, uh, you know, you have a ministry here. I didn't attach ministry with Michael Francis. It didn't didn't go with me. Right. Even though you know I'm a firm believer at this point. And since meeting with Rob, uh, I believe this was this was God's plan to to have this become a ministry in His service. Right. And that's what it's really developed into in these last couple of years. Yeah. So. But you know, talk about God just plotting a course and you just trying to be loyal and follow. And that's what. The last ten years of my life have been, yeah. without a doubt. God looks for a, a heart that's willing to obey. For someone, I, I was talking to somebody just earlier uh, this last weekend that uh, God wants a heart that is willing to say yes before you know what the request is going to be. Mm -hmm. Just, Lord, whatever you want, yes. Well, I got to tell you something, Steve. That's been—I have tried to get involved in other business ventures. Now, I was a pretty good criminal. Right. Okay, very successful. And all the criminality revolved around business. I had a great head for business. Right. Because I was able to, it, I was able to use what the street afforded me to excel in the business world, if you understand what that means. I wasn't a, the normal street crime type of guy. I didn't uh -huh. get into a lot of the street stuff. But I was more in business. I had auto dealerships. I was in the gasoline business. I did a lot of things, and I was always pretty good at it. Coming home and being involved in other business ventures, I couldn't do anything right. Really? I'm telling you. <laughs> and I didn't succeed in anything. And I'm saying either I was just a good criminal, right. or not a very smart, legitimate guy. Right. Or the other thing is that the Lord wasn't going to let me succeed in anything that distracted me from where I'm supposed to be. Uh -huh. And uh, I like to think that that's a little better. It's <laughs> a little better. But uh, now I look at anything else as a distraction because I'm into this full time. And, you know, I'm writing uh, two other books right now. And uh, I'm very, very excited, uh, Steve. Really excited that after years of doing this, I think God has, through my brother-in-law, my wife's younger brother, 
has defined my ministry, what it's all about. And we're going to really have an outreach to men and women and children in that we've defined my ministry, what I do, as made man ministry. Okay. Where I was a made man in the in the Colombo family and wanted to emulate guys that I thought were man's men, you know, men of, among men. Right. When I really realize now that I want to be a made man in the image of Jesus. Amen. And that he's really the only man's man. When you look at Jesus of Nazareth, forget for a moment that he was God. Yeah, okay. okay take his divinity away. Okay. And just look at his public life in three years on, on the world. And men have had such a powerful influence on me. When I look at Jesus, and this is what, what I read during my time in prison, I was just blown away that things that were so important to me, you know, um, uh, were... were he, he just excelled as a man in every way. I mean, the wisdom, the love, the humility that he showed, the absolute strength, his ability to keep his mouth shut when everybody was throwing insults out of him, didn't defend himself, had a purpose. It, I was so turned on by Jesus the man because men were so important to me in my life. And I said, this is what a man is really all about. And he kind of changed my whole way of thinking. You don't have to have that outward tough guy appearance. You don't have to wear your status on your sleeve and all that and so the the ministry now is emulating jesus the man jesus of nazareth and how that can make you a better husband a better person in your community a better person in business uh, a stronger person in every way and that would affect obviously the life of your wife and children and the people around you so sure. we're kind of and this was something that was born in the last three weeks my brother-in-law heard me speak at Spirit West Coast, uh -huh. and he said, Michael, your ministry should be the made man ministry, made in the image of Christ. So I didn't even think of that one. Yeah. But, um... Well, now, thinking back on your talk now, you talked about how Jesus is your boss now. And mm -hmm. I can see how the, the germ of that right yes. there. Yes. He, he absolutely picked up on that, and he said, you know, we were just talking. He said, you know, because he's involved in the church, and he said, this can be a tremendous outreach to men, Michael because they would be so turned on by being part of something like that. And I, I really believe that over the past couple of weeks, God has spoken to me and said, this is it, mm. stick with it. And when I was at Alive, I got such a tremendous response from the men that I started talking about this. Right. And, uh, and Rob Michaels really, really picked up on it. So I believe that, you know, we're going to try to pursue this and put this together as a, a, a defining part of my ministry. This right. is what it's all about. Right. Well, that's exciting. I mean, uh, I, oh, I'm so excited about it. Yeah, I, I, I can feel the excitement now just thinking about how that can be. Uh, I am. What a know. what a wonderful concept. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I said, took my little brother-in-law. I mean, he's 20-something years old, but he's, you know, he's a good man of God, and uh, he's, he comes up with great ideas, but he said, Mike, it just inspired me that night when you were talking. And what happened is, I went to his church that weekend, because my his brother is the pastor who was away. He asked me to come and fill in for him. Uh -huh. And uh, what church, by the way? It's uh, the Agape House of Prayer in Anaheim, a small church. Okay. Started by the brothers. Uh huh. And um, so I spoke that weekend, and he said he didn't mention it to me the night of Spirit West. He mentioned it to me afterwards because he said it, it's definite. God has spoken to my heart, uh -huh. and this is where your ministry needs to go. And, yeah. And uh, it was great. Wow, that's awesome. So I'm real excited about it. So. We have an exclusive. Yes. <laughs> this is the first real revelation. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Well, I, it's it's excited to be a part of that. Then that's that's great. Um, and what's very cool about it too is um, 
when I started the LifeSpring podcast uh, back in November, uh, the vision that God gave me for this podcast was to be for seekers. It's wonderful that Christians listen, but in, in all my talk that I do on the podcast, I try and, and really focus it towards people that haven't yet got the God thing figured out. Mm-hmm. I try to keep the, the Christianese out of it and, and keep it so that the people that, that don't understand church talk will still be able to understand what it is I'm talking about. And uh, that's still very much a, a part of, of what the podcast is about. But the last couple of weeks I've been also uh, talking about how you know Jesus can have an effect on your life today. It's not just about when you die, you get to go to heaven. But how can Jesus uh, you know, be a part and affect our living today? And that goes very much along with yes. what you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. And uh, like I said, I'm so excited about it because it really has defined what it's all about. And, you know, and, and one thing I have the utmost... Um, admiration for Billy Graham mm, yes because he's been in you know because of New York he's been in front of us a lot lately it's just that he's been so consistent absolutely 50 years with the gospel message yep and uh, for me not because of Billy Graham but just because of my experience in prison it's always been about the gospel and about Jesus yeah and I guess because of my Catholic upbringing with uh, the rules and regulations and this and that and you know the ritual I, I think that that caused me to be more turned on by the simplicity of Jesus' message and the fact that it was quite apparent through the gospel that he wasn't a rule and regulation guy. That's right. He wasn't a religious guy. That's right. And that he just broke it down so simply. Mm -hmm. And that was always so uh, admirable to me. And and I was always just turned on by Jesus himself. Uh And, And I think he focused me in that direction right away. Or either that or because, again... I, you know, Steve. So many things in my past life have been a, have had such a powerful bearing on where I am today in my Christian walk. If you can understand the, you know, the, the contrast. But so many things have, have played a role, and the fact that I was so into men and into being a man and into emulating a man's man. I've heard that term so many times. You know, right. You've got to be a man's man. Right. That when I finally recognized the one real man's man. In contrast to the men that I admired all my life, it's just like, wow, mm-hmm. Jesus is the guy. You yeah. know, he, he blew me away. And uh, if we pattern our life on him, obviously we can never measure up, but if we pattern our life on him, can't go wrong. Absolutely. You can't miss. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you're, you're talking about you know uh, your life being really centered on, on men in the beginning. How did it come to be that Cammy had such a huge influence on your life? The concept that I have, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but the concept that I have of guys in the life is that women are, are more like property, chattel, that they don't matter that much in terms of influencing a man. How do you suppose Cammy came into having such a great influence on you? Well, you're exactly right. This is the amazing thing there, that not only property, but had no influence on our life, on our business life whatsoever. They were second-class citizens. Don't talk to me about my life. You remember the Godfather, the last scene? In Godfather 1, when Kate is asking him about, you know, did you do this to your brother-in-law? Right. 
don't ask me about my business. Right. Don't ask me. Finally blows up and says, all right, I'll let you do it one time. And then he lies to her. Right. That was kind of the way we treated women. So that was pretty, pretty accurate. Absolutely. I mean, and to me, the fact that God used this young girl to have such a strong influence with me, there's no question that it was a God thing. Because, right. Steve, quite honestly, man, I, you know, I, I knew a lot of women in my day. Never, ever could affect me in any way the way my wife did. But none of them ever spoke to me about Jesus. Yeah. So she was a plant. That's not a question. <laughs> she was the she was God's informant, I mean, or, or undercover person. And, there you go. Uh, and I, I can't explain it other than that, than this God used. Right. Maybe. And I think you know it was a lesson too, maybe to, to pull me away from my my dad and that influence. Okay. I really do. And um, but see, it's wonderful for me because it's a lesson for women out there that how strong an influence they can be on their men and yes. how powerful they can be and the fact that she was in prayer all the time I mean she wasn't doing this alone she had God had her back right and uh, you know I tell the women my message to women is very powerful I don't care what this guy thinks he is or how strong he thinks he is or how lost you may think he is you are very powerful right you stick with it you keep it in prayer and you you have more power over this guy than you might believe when God's in your corner women love to hear that sure you know well again yeah they can they can look at it their husband or their boyfriend or whatever and say well at least he's not a mafia boss <laughs> i get a lot of left-handed compliments here. man if god can change you anybody can be changed i get that all the time i say well you're right yeah <laughs> so uh but it's uh it's amazing you know the fact that he he did use her and um you know and then i fell into that trap which uh when, when I first met her, it was all about her. She was the most important thing in my life. And I remember my mother-in-law once telling me, don't put her above God. And I said, come on, you know, she's my wife. She's here. You know, God can handle himself. i got to protect her. Right. And I think that the three years that I spent away, and, and Cammie even used to tell me that. It's God first, then me. And I said, oh, no, you're first. God can handle himself. And right. That, that wise guy talk. Yeah. And uh, I think that and when I had the fear of her maybe leaving because of that sentence, and then understanding that, no, wait a minute, God is first. And now I understand, as much as I love my wife, it's God first in my life, and he's my focus. And, and you look back, and, you know, Steve, I think all of us have these lessons. The, the thing is, do we want to open our heart and recognize them? And I think I try to get that across to people. I'm not more blessed than that God has given me a vision. Right. You know, we all have them. Do we want to recognize it? If we're focused on God and centered on God, then you look back and you see these things as God's teaching for us, God's talking to us and, and coming into our heart. Yeah. So it's a question of knowing him and recognizing it. I only leave this off for my kids. Right no, absolutely. Keep it on. Your kids are very important. But, um, but it, it is amazing, you know, that, that, that he used her. Yeah. Let me ask you something else, okay? One of the things that you hear non-Christians talk about a lot when thinking about the grace of God, they say something like, uh, you know, I'm a pretty good guy, you know? I've never been a mafia boss, but here this guy comes along and he, quote-unquote, confesses Jesus and he's forgiven. What's up with that? What's fair about that? I never did anything bad. And 
What do you say to somebody like that? Well, what I tell people is, you know, and, and I do this, again, I don't know if I did it in that night because I was out of it, but uh, I try to explain to people when I tell them about my life, I say, listen, that life was very serious and, and it's very violent at times. And if you're part of the life, you're part of the violence. I said, now, I don't want to be offensive to anybody because some of you may be sitting there and say, hey, this guy, this guy is saying this and now he has the nerve to come here and say he's forgiven. All I ever did was steal a piece of candy in my life. Right. You know, there's, where's the equality? And I try to tell them, this is why you've got to love God so much. Because the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Sin is sin. He's reaching out to everybody. And the fact that he can turn my heart and make me recognize that the things that I did were wrong, you know, should not be offensive to you. The thief on the cross, okay, nothing is in the Bible by accident. That's right. God made it very clear that in the last millisecond of your life, if you, you ask for forgiveness, he doesn't say, well, wait a minute, what about this and this and then this? You're forgiven. So this is, this is honoring a merciful God. It's not looking at a bad Michael and saying, how dare God do this? It's right. honoring a merciful God, that he is merciful and great. And I think people do get that. They, they really do. Because I don't say it in a way that, hey, I'm boasting, I did all these terrible things, and now, haha, I'm forgiven. Right. It's like... It's like these are the things that you feel blessed about every day, that God is like that. Because a lot of people don't feel they're worthy, uh, Steve. You know, I've had guys come to me that, that were in the military and said they did so many things in the military. And, you know, God is never going to forgive them for that. And they have a very, very hard time reconciling that and dealing with that. And I tell them, listen, I understand. I could relate. You might have been justified in what you did in a worldly. I wasn't. Right. I said, but I am... I said, I'm not being pompous when I say this. I said, but over a period of time and understanding, God has really put into my heart the meaning of grace and the meaning of forgiveness. And you need to understand that. And, uh, and people accept that very well. I I've been so blessed, uh, Steve, over these past 10 years. I've never been challenged in that regard. Really? No, no I never have. Um, wow. In that, you know, who are you to say you're forgiven? Yeah. I don't know if people are thinking that and haven't said it. Um, I did, I shouldn't say that, I did one time get an email. This was amazing to me from a woman that heard me. And it turned out to be a beautiful email. I was really worried about where it was going because she said, as she was sitting in her seat, she was looking at me and burning inside because her brother was going to be a witness against some mob guys and he was killed. Oh, wow. And it was a very long email. By the end of the email, she was thanking me because she said, as I heard you speak, God has put it in my heart to forgive. Oh, wow. And um, that was the first, like, real challenge that I had. And, and she said, I think I, I get it now. And I understand. And, and there has to be forgiveness. And I can let this go. Because she was something she was holding for 20 years. Wow. So, uh, wow, so that, that's a wonderful thing then, that, that she was able to, be, to get, yes, get to that point. Yes, and yeah. you can tell, I mean, she was extremely emotional even in the, uh, she relayed the whole thing. And I was watching you, I was burning inside and listening, and she said, but the Holy Spirit touched my heart mm. by the end of your talk, and uh, I can let this go now. Well, Michael, my brother, I thank you so much for thank your you. time. This has been a great pleasure. Hey, I'd like to thank Michael Francis one more time for giving us uh, a, a look into his life. 
and uh, sharing that story with us. Who would have ever thought that somebody so seemingly entrenched in a life as counter to God as his was, that that life could ever be changed as completely as his life has been? But that's what God does. You think about David and Bathsheba. You think about uh, Peter and how he denied Jesus three times on the night that Jesus would ultimately be crucified. You think of uh, the, the man that we call the Apostle Paul or Paul. At one time, he used to stone Christians for their beliefs. He killed Christians. And then he became um, the, the man that wrote a big portion of the New Testament. And then I think of my own, my own life. Uh, there was a great part of my life that I lived however I wanted to live. I've not always been a, a practicing Christian. I got saved when I was about 16 years old. But there was a time in my adult life where I turned away from God. And I said, you know what? I'm done with this. I can do what I want to do. But God saved me. He redeemed me. He took me back. And that's what God does. It doesn't matter what you've done. As I say at the top and the bottom of every show, it doesn't matter where you're at. God wants to come in and show you love and compassion. And he wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. All you need to do is reach out and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. I turn from my wicked ways now. I turn from my sin now. I turn my life over to you now, Lord. Please make me yours. Forgive me of my sins and make me yours. I give you my life now. That's all it takes and you'll be saved. You can become a follower of Christ just that easy. Now, of course, you'll grow. Hopefully, the Holy Spirit will come into your heart. He'll come into your life. That's a guarantee. But then hopefully you'll you'll surrender more and more of your life to him. Then he'll begin to show you um, the things that, that he wants you to do in order to get rid of the junk that's in your life. And you say, well, Steve, I like the junk that's in my life. Well, you'll begin to see that so many of the things that you think you have to have in your life right now are things that come between you and God. And there's, they're, they're a poor substitute for the, for the good thing that God wants to bring into your heart and into your life and into your mind and into your everyday living. There is a, a part of us that is made to have a very tight fellowship with God. There's a part of us that, that wants to be with Him. There's a part of us that's made to, to just fit with Him. And that's what He wants to do. He wants to come in there and, and help you to... to um, experience that. That's what he made you for. It's not about a, a life of rules and regulations. It's about a life of fulfillment and becoming the person that God made you to be. He's your creator. He made you for a, a specific uh, purpose. And you'll, you'll never fulfill that purpose as long as you're trying to do your own thing. Trust me, I know. I've tried it my own way and it, it just doesn't work. If you think that you're too far gone for the love of God to bring you back, you're wrong. Think again about Michael Francis. Golly, here's a guy that was, uh, who, who gave an oath to live his life counter to the laws of God and man. And he was very, very successful at it.